are the things we do podcast to podcast about film, life, television, culture, mental health, and all of that fun, jazzy stuff. Today, I've got my special guest and friend all the way in Melbourne, Alice Miles. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, I'm well. I'm feeling very like busy and disorientated. That's always the way to be, I think. Just a little bit of chaos as a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean like, um, I think I think I'm gonna hard ask you a very hard question off the bat. Oh, please. And yeah. I think it's gonna take you by surprise. <laughs> um, I'm gonna get you to tell everyone on this sweet, sweet internet who you are. And what you do. Okay. I realized like on the way over here that this would be like the one question that I knew you would ask me and that I should think of an answer and I still didn't. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so my name is Alice. Um, I am a screenwriter. Um, I also occasionally am a script supervisor and a production runner. Um, and yeah, those are like my main three things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which... Which came first out of all of it? Which which was um, the first thing? Screen screenwriting for sure. That's always been like my my end goal, like my dream job, basically. Um, yeah. And then script supervising was a bit of a fluke. Um, oh really? <laughs> a very very happy fluke because I I love it. So. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's just like one of those things that like kind of just randomly happened, and then I didn't know what it was when I signed up for it, and then. I fell in love with it, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you you script supervised Remnant. I did, yes. <laughs> How did you get that role? How did that kind of happen? Yeah, see, that it was like a massive fluke. So like, I think it was like if it was a Facebook group or like Mandy or something, but they initially were asking for unpaid production runners, <laughs> and I kind of stuck my hand up for that. Mm. Um, and then had like a Zoom interview with them, and then. In that Zoom interview, I mentioned, like, I'd done script coverage at uni um, and that I would be happy to do, like, some script coverage for them because um, I just wanted to read the script as well. So, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, so I got, got that, did the script coverage, and then they read it and I guess they liked it because they were like, would you like to be script supervisor? And I was like, yes, before I even knew what it was. <laughs> You're like, I was like, it has the word script in it. So <laughs> I'll yeah, it must be, that. it must be a valid job. Yeah. Um, but now, now that I've done it and like, I know more about it, like I actually think it's less to do with script and screenwriting and more to do with editing. Yeah. It, it's a very edit heady job. So if anyone doesn't actually know what script supervisors are, they're continuity and manage a lot of like script notes. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a laborious job because, it, but it's also a great job because it means mm. that you are something that I love, which is an editor's best friend. Mm. And, um, if you get something wrong, the editor that either loves you or hates you, it's yeah. very like fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely felt like, cause it was my first time doing it, I felt a lot of pressure to like make the editor's job easier, but I did kind of strike out because the editors were like the director and the, the DOP yeah. and the producer who were all on set every day. So it was like. Um, you know, going to them and like showing them my notes as I was going. So it's like, um, you know, I wasn't fucking up too badly. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I mean, like with this set as well, like, you know, the, the, it was such a, like, it felt like a, I don't know, maybe it was just my interpretation as well, but from an outward perspective, it was a very like female orientated set. Mm, like mm. there was just a lot of main characters or, or like background people who were women on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know like over half of the cast and crew were women so that was very cool um 
Yeah, actually, what was I think the coolest thing for me actually in the pre-production stage, because um, I did do like quite a bit of coverage for them, but there is mm. uh, one of the characters in the film is queer. And so I got to give notes specifically on that. And then that changed like some how the like character acted in the film. And that was really cool. <laughs> um, it was such a little thing, but I'm like, I had a little input in that. <laughs> that must be really fun, especially as like someone who is queer, to be like, this is how you portray yeah. this, and this is how you don't portray this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just like like really minor things as well, mm. just like, you know, little little touches. But um also like very <laughs> specific because it was like small country town girl who like was queer and went to the city and then came back home and I'm like that's me <laughs> I did that <laughs> oh my god did you did you feel like this the, this story was just speaking to you at this point <laughs> um well I I hope not it is a horror story so yeah, you know, let's, let's hope the things that happened in that movie <laughs> don't happen don't end up happening in my small town um that would be nice (laughs) i mean like the funniest thing also is like a lot of queer narratives have that you know level of horror Mm. i always feel like you know it's either a very romantic love story Mm. or a horror story there's no like a science fiction or like a western queer story (sighs) yeah as much Um, do you find that the case yeah which is a tragedy I, I'm a big genre writer and all my all the stuff I write is like very genre heavy and, and very queer heavy. So I love that. Um, that's like where I like what, to operate. <laughs> <laughs> like what what's your favorite like when it came to writing as well, what's your favorite genre to kind of like steer into? Oh gosh. Um I think horror probably first, mm-hmm. but then like sci-fi is a second. But also I think um all of my stuff is like primarily coming of age as well. So like that's kind of the the three things that I I write about, like in that area, typically. Yeah, I love that. That's you have suddenly become one of my favorite people by all those three genres. Oh my gosh! Because I'm a massive nerd. Uh, oh, same. Yeah, <laughs> big old nerd. Um, but I, I, do you ever find, especially like when you know identifying as queer, and you watch people who are very straight try and white write queer characters, and you can kind of just be like, huh. <laughs> You clearly don't know. <laughs> like they always tell it from a very hetero, Norman, mm. normal point of view. Yeah, I don't like. I don't think Remnant had that problem specifically because, like, I think the character in that movie, like Kate, she's she's queer, but her like story is mostly about her friendship mm. with Grace. So it was like very female friendship oriented rather than like romantic, yeah, sexual kind of oriented. But like, I do find. <laughs> um, in other stuff, like yeah, I've noticed. You know, you can you can just tell when it's like a queer writer who's writing it. It's just got like a certain flair to it, and you're like, yeah, like they get it. Yeah, <laughs> they know what's up. They know they know how to deliver. Mm. And I think like the same can be said for like all like, you know content that is made by the voices of like the characters. Like when it comes from like personal experience, you can just tell like. It just, yeah, it has that thing about it. You know? Yeah. I think it's also like, you know, when I watch like queer baiting shows or, you know, like, <laughs> um, if anyone yeah. knows me and how much of a massive fan of Doctor Who I am. Ah, Doctor Who, yes. <laughs> but it's always, it's always really funny when like that show tries to queer bait <laughs> and you can always tell when it's written by very straight people. Mm. And I'm like, you don't know quite what to do with these characters. And... <laughs> 
you know, there's there's a lot of controversy over like same sex kisses scenes in that show as well. Like it it can't. Mm. It's because it's a children's show, and we can't inflict children mm. on anything other than heteronormative like <laughs> facets. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do mm. I do think also like you know with with shows like that, and especially with like you know shows going forward, there is a massive problem. Um, I guess with how that functions and how like we we sort of see it mm. going forward as a as you know like properties and stuff are you is there any shows that you loved and then you're like this hasn't like aged well because i guess it's Ooh. not as true to what it should be i've definitely fallen victim to like queer baiting <laughs> quite a bit yeah um yeah i don't know it's hard though i think the stuff that like has queer baited me is stuff now that I retroactively look back on and like why did I ever think that they would give me queer content you know (laughs) like I was I was a massive Marvel fan as a teen and I was like so certain that they were gonna give us like canon queer content and I'm looking back and I'm like they were never gonna do that like it just um I mean Miss Marvel let's be real like she's close she's she's about as close as it's gonna get (laughs) Literally, like, I swear every time there's a new, like, movie or show, they're like, this is the first time I've had this queer moment in it. And it's like, like, you're barely passing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they ju- just saying I'm queer is not enough for me to be like, they're queer. Exactly. They're definitely queer. Mm, yeah, there's, like, a difference between just, like, saying your character is queer and, like, actually having yeah. your character live, like, a queer experience. And like depicting that accurately, you know. But I mean, like, I was I was the same as like I think, particularly with my sexuality and everything. When I did see characters that I related to, particularly like guys who were kind of like more feminine and the masculine and all that mm. stuff, and also like you know like bi and everything, I was kind of like, this is perfect, you know, this is this is me. But then immediately they would do something. They were like, yeah, bro, mate, you know, dude. I'm like, well, that's not me. That's Mm, that's mm. completely the opposite. Yeah. Or like, yeah, you'll watch something and it's like they have a very obvious like queer bait moment that is like for like Tumblr to consume and like turn into a gift set. Yeah. And then the rest of it is just not that. And it's like, yeah, we're just being baited so bad right now. I know. And it's it's like, I realized something recently, which I think is like astounding and probably like part of my childhood, which is always the thing that I noticed as an adult, Mm. (laughs) which I should have noticed as a teen. And I don't know how well that was until like, like now that all the content I watched as a teen and I particularly like make, you know, 12 to 18, all these people have come out as queer mm. or trans <laughs> or something. Yeah. And I'm like, this says a lot about yeah. me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my Twilight fixation makes a lot more sense now that Christian Stewart is a Yeah, I know. It's like, oh, <laughs> um, this makes sense. Like yeah. I used to binge um, Charlie is So Cool Like and Charlie, is, if anyone follows Charlie is So Cool Like, they've come out as trans Yeah, and I was like, when I found that announcement, because like she'd been dead on the internet for like probably about four years, no one had heard a peep from her. And then she was just like posted this random Instagram and I was like, holy shit, like, yes. (laughs) And I told one of my (laughs) friends that I was like uh, messaging them just going, I am so excited. Like, what is this? (laughs) So yeah, it's like a surreal... Like bait and switch, you know, like mm. um, I feel like things that I, you know, particularly were very normal and, you know, like mm. sexuality is such a spectrum now that in modern TV shows mm. we don't like, you know, don't really hit all of them. And But yeah. then you have like shows like Heartbreak High and, you know, 
it's it's like I get those shows existing, but I have one little gripe with them, you know, because like Sex Ed did it first is is the is like the the mainstream Netflix dramas, but. Heartbreak High, I do like that they listened to their actors and what they had, mm. and then they adjusted the script accordingly. The other downside, though, I have is how much, like, are we cramming, you know, like, into a show, which then might, you know, like, where does it, like, work and how does it fluctuate? Because it doesn't, like, as a coming-of-age story, I'm it works, but I'm, like, as an adult, mm. I want to watch adults in those situations where they're still learning about themselves, mm. and that doesn't happen. What I get is drama shows that have nothing to do with yeah. that yeah i i loved heartbreak high um i thought it was fantastic i binged it this weekend oh did you just <laughs> um, in a few days yeah it was like i stayed up i think till like 3 a.m and just like watched the whole thing in one go and i was obsessed um but yeah you're so right like th- there's like kind of this expectation that you're coming of age is like in your teen years whereas like you know like i'm still figuring things out i'm still discovering things about myself and like I feel like that's just an ongoing process, but it's, yeah, it's kind of expected that you get to a certain point and you you know who you are. Yeah. And like, yeah, that kind of like uh, finding your identity phase is like not explored as much in older content, which is yeah, a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Because I mean, like, you know, when did you know, like inside that you were like, this is who I am. I know I'm, you know, I'm queer. When did this happen for you at what age? See, <laughs> mine is like my journey with my sexuality was like very fluctuating because I came out as a lesbian in high school um and then like went to uni and then came out as bi and then recently like in the past year two years or so have realized that I was right when I was 16 and I actually am a lesbian um so that was a fun little journey for me to go on um and then also recently I think like lockdown kind of force everyone to be a bit introspective but like mm. lockdown I, I thought a lot more about like gender and pronouns and stuff so I changed my pronouns from she her to she they um but that's that's subject to change like I, I feel like I'm kind of just experimenting with with that at the moment I love that though that's like the only way to live mm. like you you know I I I was sort of like in a similar boat to you mm. but I was definitely like I had the heteronormative like shove of um the late 90s early 2000s mm. so um my my era of torture and torment um <laughs> was like i think particularly like this moment where i was like oh okay i'm i'm definitely don't like boys <laughs> even though i find them very attractive mm. i don't like men no that can't be a thing <laughs> so i go away and i would still wonder why i'd watch shows and be like that guy is very attractive like mm. why is that a thing but I also like women. What does that mean? Mm, so I'd mm. always like think about these things. And I think when, you know, like I dated enough people and they were like, you're clearly bi, you know, like this <laughs> yeah. is the flags are very like obvious, but you know, like, you know, then, then other labels kind of kept coming up like pansexual, like, you know, asexual and stuff like that. And yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't know where I fit <laughs> into anything. Mm. So I kind of like over panicked. Um, and, and and like I went through my like hair dyeing stage when I was like eighteen, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I I miss doing it. I haven't done it since I was like twenty six. Um, how often do you dye your hair? Is my question. Uh, it is currently like a strawberry blonde, and it needs to be dyeing, but it is so dead at the moment. Um, I think I've gone through 
like three or four different colors this year. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm really pushing it because she's she's struggling. <laughs> she's she's like I can't keep holding mm. this. Like I will die. Yeah, I was like the other day, like oh I could dye it blue, and I'm like I actually don't know if my hair would survive another dye. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> Watch this space. <laughs> Watch this space. Watch this podcast. You can clearly see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Watch this audio medium. <laughs> yeah. Audio medium. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, like, th- that's also, like, one of the things that I remember, like, I have gone red. I've gone blue. I've gone, you know, yellow. I've gone gr- um aqua i've gone black mm. black was the weirdest thing because i do not have the voice to fit black <laughs> like because what i always imagine people like uh, you know with black hair is they have a really gravelly like deep tone and mm. i'm like no nope, not like, at all. like an emo kid like tumblr senior kind of thing yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> um but i mean like you know it's it's i think as an adult, it's like I stopped dying it when I was like, yeah, when I was 26 and I just, you know, it's expensive. It's expensive. It is. I mean, I, I DIY it. I never go to a salon. Really? Yeah. But that's why it's so bad because <laughs> this is really embarrassing for me to admit because I didn't realize that some of the box dyes had bleach in it. <gasps> and so I was dyeing my hair and I was like, why is it getting so brittle? Like, I'm just putting dye in it. Um, and it's because there's also <laughs> bleach in it. So I like bleached my hair like three times in one week. <laughs> oh my god, what are you doing to your poor hair? I think I I am like gearing up for a big chop, like and just hacking it off and, and going from scratch. Um, I think it's literally the only way forward for my poor hair. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever go like, you know, super pixie cut? I have in the past, actually. Really? Yes. Um, and that was a lot of fun, but, um, I totally like underestimated the upkeep because it's like those like cool pixie cuts you see on like Instagram, they don't wake up with their hair like that. Like that, that's a solid half an hour of like styling. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which I was not prepared for. Cause I like, I'm a kind of a get out of bed, um, and then walk out the door and the next five minutes person, <laughs> um, like I will leave at the last possible moment. And so adding an extra half an hour to my routine was just not happening, but you know, Maybe in the future. We'll see. <laughs> I love that. I love that you're totally brutally honest. You're like, no, nah, it's roll out of bed. <laughs> I just, I, I know myself too well. <laughs> Is that what you were like on set though? You just rolled out of bed and, and the thing rocked <laughs> up just bang on time. Oh, I don't know if I was bang on time. <laughs> there was like, I can be to set on time. Or I can be to set five minutes late with a coffee. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there were a couple of times where it, yeah, I was walking on set late with a coffee in hand. <laughs> um, especially, like, I think, like, the start, because it was my first feature film, like, the start, I was like, no, I need to be there early every single day. And then you yeah. get to week five, and I'm just like, I don't even know what time is anymore. Like, yeah, because <laughs> you're, like, doing five, six days a week anyway with, like, barely any rest. We were doing, like, six days a week. It was so much fun, but, like, I look back now and I'm like, how did I do that for six weeks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I'm impressed that, you know, because I imagine the film's like an hour and a half. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. It was like around 100. It was 119 pages. So, like, yeah. So, like, you know, roughly 90 to 100 minutes. Yeah. Uh, give or take action sequences or anything like that. That's nuts. Mm. But, you know, like, are you excited for when it comes out? <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> be- yes, because it's going to be a good film, but... 
No, because I, I know so intimately all the continuity mistakes that are going to be. Ah. <laughs> like there's just, I, I had this moment on set where I was like, I decided that, because I don't know if you know this, but on IMDb, there's like a continuity errors thing. And just the thought of someone watching the movie and putting in the continuity errors, like actually was stressing me out so much that I just decided that I would do it when the movie <laughs> came out. <laughs> I would just beat everyone to it, and then it <laughs> everyone just reads it and goes, "Oh, oh. yeah, <laughs> oh, I'll notice that now." Mm, but like in my head, I'm like, there were so many continuity errors, and then like I'd bring them up, and people would be like, "I didn't notice that." And I'm like, "What do you? What do you mean you didn't notice that? that there was, <laughs> there's like um, a painting that we had to move um, for a scene. It's in the background. I feel like I'm giving away all the secrets, <laughs> but yeah, there was a painting we moved um, in the background of one shot, and then that hallway is visible in another shot." So the painting, I put it up for one of the shots and then the another one, like I took it down because we obviously, yeah, we're just moving around between rooms and stuff. So there's like mm. a scene where it cuts and the painting's there and it's not there. And I'm just like, oh my God, people are going to notice this painting in the far left corner and I'm going to like never get hired oh again. Oh my God, <laughs> no. <just> spiraling. <laughs> oh, and that's like, um, that was like me actually on one of my own shoots where we like had mirrors and mm. never, if anyone works with mirrors, Oh, mm. they're a nightmare to work with. And one of my friends um, was literally caught in the mirror and we kept going like, move, move. Mm. And yeah, the, the one shot that I really liked, she she happened to be standing. Oh, like no. Like in the, the reflection of the mirror, she didn't realize she was standing there. I was like, oh. Yeah, the, the kitchen that we filmed in, like that is like my sleep paralysis demon now like I think about that kitchen all the time because all of the cabinets were glass oh. so like and we're filming at the table and you can just see like the the slightest boom just like cut across some of the cabinets and I'm like no <laughs> I when we wrapped on the kitchen I would that was like the best day on set for me <laughs> I think it's also what I love about that film and I'm only seeing the stills, by the mm. way. I've not got a sneak peek. Oh my god, the stills look so good. It's just so good. It's it. I think there's a lot that that you know, like my um good friend uh, Megan Bell, oh. who I love. She's fantastic. Uh, so much, mm. and um, she praised you so much. She was like, oh, "You're interviewing Alice." Oh, really? <laughs> and I was like, "Yes." Yeah, we we really bonded. I think over there's a couple of like minor things that her character always had on her. And so, like, keeping charge of those continuity was, like, driving us both insane. So, like, <laughs> bonding through trauma, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, like, I think also, what, you know, like, that film in particular looks, like, gorgeous, looks stunning. Mm. But um, it, it, it also just kind of, like, the, the downside of indie, you know, like, especially indie independent Australian is hopefully it gets traction because a lot of independent Australian films just kind of get released and then sometimes just disappear yeah like is that a concern for you especially oh gosh I don't know um I hope I really hope it doesn't happen um but yeah I'm not sure <laughs> what what's gonna happen but I'm crossing my fingers I've got I've got them <laughs> like this if no one can see them I've got my like fingers crossed being really excited um <laughs> but I mean like you know in particular I want to talk about young you and young Alice <laughs> yeah yeah so it's going into the this is the trauma subject of like the podcast. Mm. So prepare yourself. Um, young Alice, where did it? Where did Young Alice start from? What What was like the origins into your like writing and creativity? Okay, I do have like an origin, but it's like a little. It's a little cringy. <laughs> um, but I think I think that's okay. I think we can we can 
divulge secrets. Um, I started writing when I was 12 on like fanfiction.net. Oh, <laughs> love it. That was, that was the start of my writing career. Um, and that made me fall in love with writing. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I started like, like writing stories on there, like, like I was like writing, so I I don't think I'll ever like match the level of writing I was doing when I was twelve. Like, it was insane. But yeah, I was doing that, and then like that made me fall in love with writing. And then I started writing like very sporadically. Like I've never been a consistent writer. <laughs> but yeah, in my teen years, just like coming up with ideas and like my own worlds and stuff. And I was like not a very social teenager, so I think just like having that like those little inner worlds to retreat to was like a big thing for me um and then I did media classes in like year 11 and 12 and I'm like oh my god I can write for movies that's a thing <laughs> um and that really blew my mind I would like I didn't really realize that like people wrote movies and then like I read my first script and I was like oh my god this is what I want to do for the rest of my life um and then yeah <laughs> moved to Melbourne and the rest is history <laughs> oh my god so where did you originally grow up I grew up in rural South Australia. <laughs> yeah, so you're a South Australia girl. Yeah. Born and born and raised out there. Born and raised in Narracourt, South Australia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Was that like, when did you realise you wanted to flee the South Australian <laughs> borders? Um, I I was always like keen to go. To be honest, like, mm -hmm. um, I actually went to boarding school when I was. 13 and I like begged my parents to send me to boarding school. Wow. <laughs> yes, I went to boarding school from like year nine to year 12 in Adelaide. And then Adelaide, I was like, nah, gotta go to Melbourne. <laughs> you were like, just Adelaide shit. Better get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Like, go to, go to somewhere a little bit more interesting. I remember like, um, well, because I have like family in Melbourne, we used to come visit and like my grandma's house is like right next to Swinburne campus and I thought it was like the most amazing place in the world and I would like walk past it all the time and I'm like I want to go here and like I want to live in Melbourne and study film <laughs> um yeah I was like oh my god it's so funny now because like I walk past the Swinburne campus and I'm just like what what did I see in this <laughs> but when I was like 16 I was like this is the most amazing place in the world <laughs> I want to be here so bad Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it tends to be the most amazing place in the world and you just get excited by everything and you're like, this is this is the bee's knees. Yeah. Oh, I remember I was like such a like classic like country girl <laughs> in the city when I first like moved to Melbourne. I was excited by everything. <laughs> like I would get my $6 coffee and I'd be like, oh my God. Can I just <laughs> say, so cool. this is wholesome content. I am loving this. <laughs> I think it's like also the juxtaposition is I grew up in the city my entire life. So I've lived in Sydney for 30 years and mm. like, I love Sydney. I've always wanted, I, I think particularly when I was young, I, w I wanted to live in the UK and that was like a no go. I was like, like as I got older, it just never happened. Um, and now my partner and I are going to flee to Canada in a couple of years, which will be really exciting before we potentially decide to have a family. So that is yeah, like, that's awesome. I know it's, I love it. And I think, um, but I also think that I've gotten to this age and, um, where I'm just very like excited and you know, like keen and, and thrilled about certain projects mm, that mm. I think, you know, when, <laughs> probably when I was, you know, like, Younger and, you know, like the glossy eyed, you know, when I ever first got my j first ever television job or I was studying, I was like, oh, everyone's amazing. And yeah. now I'm just like, 
ain't film projects fun and stressful <laughs> and tiring? Yeah, I feel like I go through like phase, phases of like starry eyed. I still get like quite starry eyed sometimes. Yeah. And then I'll just like have these massive crashes where I'm like, wow, this industry sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I like am tired. And oh, I, I think like my big crash on Remnant, I got COVID in like the third week. Oh. And I was so miserable. <laughs> How'd you get that? Um, I, I know exactly where I got it. Um, we went out um, on the weekend one night to this pub called The Woolpack. Mm-hmm. And I just think, you know, if you're going to get COVID anywhere, it's in a rural town pub called The Woolpack. Like, I should have seen it coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, did, did a majority um, of you get sick? There was a period where we were kind of all dropping, like, dropping like flies, basically. That was, it was, it was so stressful. Oh. And I felt bad because I was one of the first people to get it. So, I'm like, oh, my God, I've infected everyone. I've ruined the movie. And, like, and then it's like two weeks later, you're all back at work. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah I was like... Like, uh, yeah, after my, like, week of ice, I was, like, basically coughing the entire time and, like, wheezing. We, like, we're in a theatre and, like, we we were up in the dress circle and, like, down on the lower floor and, like, mm. I was, like, running around all the time and I'd, like, walk up a flight of stairs and I'm just, like, I need to sit down for, like, ten minutes. <laughs> that has completely exhausted me. I had that too as well. Like, I, I couldn't walk hills mm. very easily for the first few days. I get very tired. And I had brain fog. Yeah. Brain fog hit me hard. Yeah. All the joys. <laughs> I know. I know. But I mean, like, you know, like, wh- what <laughs> Like, what do you do? <laughs> We're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm. But at least it didn't, like, set back the film. It, it seemed to complete, like, semi on time. Yeah. We did the best that we could have, considering the circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think anyone was anticipating how badly we would get hit by COVID. Um, but yeah, like... I think we all really rallied together. Um, there was that last week of shooting that was in, in Mudgee that was crazy. We just had so much left to do. Um, and it was like, yeah, looking at all the scenes, like <laughs> just figuring out like the most effective and most efficient way to like smash out as many as possible. And like, but, you know, like we got it done and it, that, that feeling when we finished it was just so satisfying and just so incredible. It's like, yeah. And we had such an amazing team. So, you know. It was awesome. <laughs> do you do you love it though? Like how how audience consume things as well, and and how we did as kids is so n- n- micro and nanosecond. We're like, this is great, this is terrible. Before we sometimes even watch it. Mm. Do you know, like finishing Remnant. I remember like the week afterwards, I went and saw Nope, and like that. Like I think after finishing like on a feature film set for like six weeks, I was like, how does anything ever get made? Like how do movies? ever get made like it really was like and I watched that I was like how did someone make this like this is insane like there's so much stuff that goes into making a movie it is a miracle that anything gets done like Mm. it was just mind-blowing and and nope's a great film but it's like Mm. also like I think the one that I always think of is Jordan Peele's first one which particularly is like that low budget, mm. like even though it had like Get Out um, has a sort of semi budget, it still feels a bit more indie, yeah. Than probably like Us and Nope, and particularly when you look at that film, you're kind of like, how did this get made? I think it had two months yeah. filming. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And just like so out of the blue as well, just mm. like such a random film to just take off. Yeah, I mean, like, look, there might be something you write, and suddenly everyone's like, ooh, maybe <laughs> famous. One day. I mean, like, is there, particularly as a writer, though, um, and now, like, as you write fanfic, clearly. Ha, um, yes. <laughs> do, you, do you think there's anything in particular that you're like, this 
this is like shows or, you know, um, storylines that I want to um, take on? Or is there a media, like, you know, if, whether it's a play, whether it's a television or whether it's a film or whether it's radio, are there particular like avenues you also want to try? Yeah, I I recently have started getting to theatre actually, which has been so fun. Um, and I really want to, like, I've started writing a theatre show. Oh, um, really? Which has been awesome. Yeah. Um, actually, I, I think started writing is maybe not the right way to describe it because I'm taking a, a script that I wrote as a short film and turning it into a theatre show. But um, Oh, so you're adapting. Adapting. Adapting <laughs> my own work that I never made. But it was like, I yeah, I, I worked as a stage manager on like a student show and I, I just loved it. It was so fun. Um, and then I was like, I want to do this. Um, and then realizing like theater is great because you are a lot left to the imagination. And I have this script that's like set in a mansion and it's like, I was never going to be able to like hire a mansion to film in, mm. but I can just put a bunch of people on a stage and say, this is in a mansion. And people will be like, yeah, that's in a mansion. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I was like that. This is the one I'm turning into a play. <laughs> I love the dedication. You're like, this, this is my decision. This is what it will be. Like It was kind of like a, a process of elimination and also like I just wanted to like I finished this play and I was like I want to keep doing this and I know all these people who will make a play with me now. Yeah. And so I just wanted to like capitalise on that and I was like it's going to be easier to like pick one of the millions of scripts I have just like sitting in a drawer rather than like creating something from scratch. So It's also going to like when you make a film, it's always a budgetary thing you stress about and, you know, whether it's going to be good or whether it's going to be bad, mm. um, whether it's going to look cheap. Or terrible. Mm. Like, is there any particular ideas, especially with, like, you know, storylines that you have that you're like, I really want to invest one day in a project of mine? Yeah, I think that's, like, the hard thing about screenwriting is, like, I, I love writing and, like, I will just write, like, anything and, like, I will just do it for fun. But then, like, screenwriting, it's, like, there's so much writing on that. Like, you're sending that off and that's, like, going to go to a director and then, like, people are going to turn up on set and they're going to shoot what you wrote. And there's so many people who are dependent on, like, what you wrote being good. <laughs> um, it can't just be, like, something, like, I'm just, like, writing in my room for myself, you know? So it's, yeah. like, it's, like, that extra level of, like, pressure when it comes to script writing. Um, and, like, I, yeah, I'm writing, like, a feature film at the moment, which is, like, uh kind of like a queer horror oh my god yeah <laughs> um which has been really fun but that's like I want that to be like really really good and so it's taking me forever to write because I'm like just feeling so much pressure yeah um but yeah there's so many like little concepts and stuff in that that I'm like I don't know if this works but I really like it <laughs> what like um, when you sort of start writing though and you know are you one of those writers that stares at a blank page for like two hours hoping that an idea flows out of your brain like typically I think um like an idea will like live in my head for quite a while before I like commit to to putting it on the page um yeah and like scripts I think like prose is different like I would just like write prose for fun <laughs> and just like you know short stories and just whatever and just like that I feel like I can just let loose and just like write literally whatever and then if it's like I'll just cut it or like you yeah. know if it's not good, it doesn't matter. But like scripts, like I tend to spend a bit more time planning. Um, I think as well, like, I don't know, there's something about screenwriting and like scripts. I feel like they just need to be like really well structured. Like I think a book doesn't need to be as structured as a screenplay. Um, Depends on In the my book. experience at least. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I will usually for a screenplay, we'll cue cut everything out first. <laughs> um, I will put it on my iPad like as 
like cue cards like that I can like access online which is good like if I'm ever like out in public and like I don't have my cue cards with me I'll just have them on my iPad or on my phone and so like I find that really handy um and then just like visually seeing it like on a screen is super helpful for me so like yeah a lot more planning goes into like a screenplay for me oh that's awesome I I think also you know with, particularly with writing and you know like something that um, visually like my background's editing, so it's like I'm I'm particularly good at noticing when scripts don't flow because because you know especially when you're editing something you're like oh okay mm. you know that doesn't sit right or that you know like but as my own editor when I edit my own content have you ever th- <laughs> it's terrible no it's not that bad I actually don't write terribly I just like. I write in a, such a predictable ADHD way, which is the dots connect very specifically to me, mm. but most like people won't join the dots. <laughs> really what I need is a scri- um, script consultant always making sure, or a script editor making sure it sounds mm-hmm. consistent. Well, look, not to like, you know, <laughs> I, I do do script like consultants and stuff if you ever need someone to write coverage for you. Um. Oh, is that a bit of a, a is that a bit of like sh- sh- a little bit of a, a, a self plug? <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> I mean, like, do you, you do because you you talk about being a fan of, of stuff. Like, I'm I I will admit I do. You know, like, and you've probably seen on my Facebook and stuff, like, you know, my Doctor Who. Like, yeah, I've seen a little bit of Doctor Who. <laughs> have you watched any of it? No, I should. I'm, like, very new to the Doctor Who fandom. I only watched the show for the first time last year. Really? Yeah, which is, like, quite surprising for me. And, like, that was, like, a like a secret. That was, like, me being in the closet. Like, all my friends were massive Doctor Who fans. And I was, like, yeah, Doctor Who's great. And I'm, like, I haven't seen it. And it's, like, way too late for me to catch up. <laughs> did you – which Doctor um, did you start with? I, I started I, I started from, the like, Christopher Eccleston. And then I'm actually – yeah, I watched it with my friends. And we recently restarted watching it. Um because uh, we stopped at Capaldi and then we're, we've jumped back in now. So. Wow. Yeah. We're uh, we're currently halfway through the Jodie Whittaker era, or at least the start of it. I'm I'm very excited to get up to Whittaker because I'm very curious. I've heard a lot. So. <laughs> I love her very much. I think she mm. did a great job and now her era is done. Yeah. Um, I'm sad mm. to see her go, but I'm also excited what they all do next. Um, but if anyone knows me, <laughs> I am not a Russell T. Davis fan as oh, much. Oh, really? I am very controversial. Love him as a person, but as a as a Doctor Who fanatic, yeah, I just find his writing is way too fanficy, oh, even for me okay. to sit there and go. At this point, you've lost me of who who should be in this mm. episode and who should. And I just felt like I was like I Eccleston and uh, like uh, if I could list my favorite actors who play the Doctor, it'd be Eccleston, like Christopher Eccleston, um, Matt Smith, and Jodie Whittaker. Mm. I think are phenomenal. I think they did a great job as a role. Uh, David Tennant is my weakest out of all of them. Um, I know. Scandal. <laughs> Scandal. I am I'm destroying so many hearts right now and making a lot of people angry. But, um, yeah, he's just like, he's a great actor. Don't get me wrong. David Tennant, I love in Good Omens. I love in Broadchurch. I love him in a lot of different shows. Mm, um, but mm, just mm. as the Doctor, he wasn't something that sat well with me. And I think I didn't particularly like the fandom around that time and the fandom that's really like hostile around that thing yeah but it's interesting because being particularly like knowing what it's like to write fanfic and particularly like your own fan orientation stuff it is interesting when you start writing and people just go oh it needs to be more like this and it's something of the fandom that you don't like and you go Mm. "Eh, this is not what I like but people are telling me that I should you know always yeah channel it to a certain degree 
it's it's funny because I know a lot of people who've watched my Doctor Who stuff love it, but it's a majority of it is female doctors. Mm. And, you know, like I sometimes get comments on it which are they're better than Jodie. <sighs> oh, they're so much sexier yeah. than Jodie. Like all these things and it's like, I, I don't know, it's like some men are like, oh, how are they this smart? How is like that work? So <laughs> it's like a toxic fandom like society was it, do you find that now as well, like particularly as a writer mm. to kind of avoid that toxic um, side of writing and fandom? Yeah, there's so much. There's so many toxic fandoms out there. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely been like stuck, like, and it's not like a fun place to be. Like you can get quite obsessive when you're in those fandoms and you're like, yeah. my shift is correct. And like um, my shift is going to be canon because X, Y, Z. And it's just like, it kind of sucks the fun out of it eventually. Like, um but yeah, I've definitely like been like neck deep in some like interesting fandoms before. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like my like little goal for myself <laughs> is if I, if I ever become a successful writer, I want to have like a ship that creates discourse. That's like <laughs> that's how I'll know I've made it if I have a show. <laughs> I'm like this is like my one goal as a writer is to have like a discourse ship. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So like like an. Edward Cullen, you know, like kind of ship or just like something way worse? Like <laughs> I I'm I love um I really love enemies to lovers. Uh wow, I'm feeling all the secrets on this podcast. But yeah, enemies to lovers is like my guilty pleasure. And so like I would love to like have a long running show with like a long enemies to lovers arc. Oh lovely. <laughs> and 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 have some discourse on Twitter. That would be that would be fun. Oh my that god. Would, that would be like my ideal sick like of success. <laughs> I'm so concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was just, you know, also what I was thinking. It was like I remember sitting around with a bunch of um M's friends and uh, they all do roller derby together, and they were all talking about First Kill, mm. which is a Netflix show, and um, just, just made me think of back when we were talking about queer baiting and that show. Mm. But that that like you know that show in itself is also just what is it about like certain like traps or like I want to say thirst traps or like relationship discourse <laughs> yeah. um, has in like some characters. That happens in a lot of shows where they're like, they should get together. They shouldn't get together. Yeah. Or it's like the supernatural kind of avenue oh, where they God. just sort of happen to get together for no apparent reason. Yeah, supernatural is... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Do you do you feel like that when you're, like, <laughs> watching any show that you're like, was there a legitimate reason for these characters to get together? And do you do you look... At the forums and 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 stuff like, especially with your writing, mm. do you do you want your audience, I guess, to realize that they're going to get together and not just ache and bait them and be like, they should, they shouldn't, mm. but they won't. I I love like I think shipping can get toxic very quickly, but if you're like engaging with it on a surface level it's a lot of fun to just watch a show and be like these characters are cute together and like I'll I'll like some fan out of them and like engaging on that level is always fun and I I would love it if I made a show that like had fan art and fan fiction and like had a fandom um that would be amazing like like (laughs) like I would genuinely love that like that would be so surreal and so cool Mm. um and like 
yeah, it just seems like so far out of the realm of possibility of like what I can have, you know? Um, yeah, I would love, I would love to have like a show or like a, a film or, or a piece of media that like has an online fandom and like Tumblr and, and TikTok and stuff. Like I engage with that stuff quite regularly and it's a big part of my life and like how I engage with shows. And so um, I would love it if that happened with Sonic I wrote. That'd be awesome. Are you a, t- are you a big TikToker? On and off. <laughs> um <laughs> It's it's so addictive, um, and a little bit like it can it can get quite toxic quite quickly with as with any corner of the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like when it when it's good, it's good, <laughs> you know. the The algorithm is insane. Like I don't know what they do and how they do it, but it is so accurate and like gets to like the nitty gritty of like little tiny niches that you have, and you can like find your people really quickly, and that like that's really cool. Um, and like, it's concerning cause it's like, how did they know? <laughs> I think, it's, um, I think it's like someone did an experiment recently where they kept talking out loud to their phone mm. and then the phone would listen to them. And then the algorithm on TikTok would work it out by what they've said out loud. Cause yeah. like your phone actually does listen to you. And like, I, I've seen like videos of people like, I mean, it's fun when it's like, you know, the algorithm like finds out like, you know, what shows I'm watching and like, that's fun. But then it's like. I've seen people do experiments, but they'll create a TikTok account and then like we'll swipe and try and get to like alt-right videos and see how quickly they can get into like, you know, some like pretty far-right media. And it takes them like less than an hour of scrolling to get to like Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, like that corner. And it's just, that's pretty frightening. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 that makes me think of like, you know, like, how the dark web of TikTok. Yeah. I mean, on any side, like Reddit is also particularly. Oh, Reddit's the worst. Yeah. Reddit. <laughs> um, I, I like sometimes like will dip my toes into Reddit every now and again, but like it's very selective and like I, there's some, there's some horrible stuff on that side. Cause, cause were you born in the late nineties, early two thousands era? 99. I'm a, yeah. 90s baby just. <laughs> Love it. So you would have encountered a few websites that before they got taken down. Um, did you ever remember, were you ever a morbidly curiosity kid? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Did you ever look up weird things on the internet when you were young? I, I did. Like, I was definitely around in the peak of like creepypasta Slenderman and stuff. That was like, probably like my limit. And then like, I got weirdly in do you know what ARGs are vaguely <laughs> um aug- augmented reality gaming um that was like something I got really into as like a teen um because that's like just you just deep dive into like these weird like pockets of the internet and like look for clues and stuff um so I think like those kind of marketed themselves as like dark and disturbing but in reality <laughs> they like they weren't they were all like made up but like that was probably like the furthest I got <laughs> I love that I mean like my dark web eventually got me. I I don't know. It sort of like ended up being like this site where you would see like it would start off nice and happy and fluffy, and then so like it would get more and more dark the further you scrolled, mm. and like it was more disturbing. I think you it said how far in can you get before you want to yeah. leave. There's like that weird addictive thing about like the internet where they'll have like things like just out of like the corner of your eye that you shouldn't be looking at it's very tempting to just like look and click and just see what's there yeah (laughs) were you ever like because did you ever as a teenager like look up things and then do that delete history so no one could work out what you were staring at i don't know like 
I was a bit of a, like, I probably still am. Like, I love horror, but I am, like, a massive softie. And, like, I think I'm very good at recognising, like, my limits of, like, if I look at this, like, this is going to keep me up for a few nights. And, like, so I won't do that. <laughs> um, so you respect yourself. <laughs> I think I just don't trust myself. Like, I... <laughs> Although, like, I think in terms of, like, deleting search history and stuff, there was a lot of that in terms of fan fiction when I was a kid. I was, like, very embarrassed by it. But now I'm like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I will tell anyone, clearly, because I'm talking about it on this podcast. Yeah, I know. You're clearly like, I don't give a shit and everyone get the fuck away. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just accepted that I'm, like, a huge nerd. And, like, I just am very happy to, like, openly say that I'm a nerd so I can find other nerdy people to talk with. <laughs> I I think like you do already from the vibe that you're in a very safe space. It is a very safe space here. Yeah. Nerd yes. away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like I think also with like in in terms of just like internet browsing and stuff like that. Mm. When I was young and it always seemed like such a dodgy way, but I remember like there used to be a lot of flash animation websites mm. and I found mm-hmm. one recently which was a, a flash down memory lane. And I don't know why it was so bizarre but it was something my brother and i found and it was a website just with a song called mushroom 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 badger and if you look it up on youtube it's a weird flash animation where it goes on repeat and then occasionally you see a snake in it yeah i kind of miss that era of internet like what (laughs) like we it was almost psychedelic like you just didn't know yeah like those weird like those web two websites that just like (laughs) so so bizarre like yeah or like you like puzzles and stuff to figure out and like you get there and then it's like a jump scare at the end <laughs> oh. it's kind of like it's like weirdly nostalgic and cute like now it's like I remember those um I remember when I first got on Facebook and there were those things that were like if you don't like this post and share it this person's gonna come murder you tonight. <laughs> I miss those. I miss, I miss those. those. I genuinely believed them, and I remember, like, as a kid, <laughs> this is so funny. I would like see them, and I'd be too scared to like them, and I'd be like, okay, well, so it's gonna come kill me tonight. So if I stay up till midnight, then I'm good because then it's <laughs> daytime technically after that, and then it's fine. And so I used to like just sit in bed, just like terrified, waiting for it to hit midnight, so I wouldn't get murdered. <laughs> I miss that era of internet. <laughs> I miss that era of feeling like I would be murdered every night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think my favorite part was like the ones that said it was like until 3 a.m. And then you were like, clearly, uh, yeah. the witching get, like, hour, get fucked internet. Or they're like ones that are like, if you share this with 20 friends, like you'll get all of this good things. And if you don't, you'll get brutally murdered. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, I think it yeah. also didn't uh. help that I grew up with shows like X-Files where, like, an, ep- an episode mm. would be of this premise where people did die of murder, like, some these kind of things. I grew up with very dark shows, so yeah. it was, like, did not help my imagination. <laughs> I think, like, my, like, first kind of experiences with horror were with those, like, found footage movies. Like, they were, those were big when I was an early teen. Ah, uh, so, like, Paranormal Activity and... Paranormal Activity and, like, Blair Witch Project and stuff like that just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> like, I was, like, so gullible. I was, like, if you told me this was real, I was, like, yeah, this is real. Like, this is a real deal. <laughs> this actually happened. Like, it's on a security camera footage. You can't fake that. <laughs> None of these are actors. <laughs> I think, did you, what about mainstream horror now? Like, you know, when you watch things, because like everything under the sun is like slashes or, you know, 
a lot of them are just like you know massive murder mystery slashes mm. um but occasionally there's good cherry like on top weird ones what's your favorite go-to horror i guess nowadays that's a good question um i don't know if i have a go-to but i i one that came out recently that i'm obsessed with is fresh i haven't seen it yet it's so good <laughs> there's some really good like feminist horror coming out a lot nowadays which is awesome and i love it um <laughs> But yeah, that that movie was great and like really gave me the ick, <laughs> which, um, yeah, so good. I think I think what's the one I loved recently, um, uh, other than Nope, mm, oh, which was just creepy and phenomenal. So yeah, I watched Black Phone recently. Oh, was it good? It was so good. It was so fucked up. I think it's like also what creeped me out is like less jump scares and more just unsettling. Mm. Everything has to be unsettling. Um. Yeah, and nerve-wracking, and I think, like, I, I, I think I get to this stage where I'm, I'm getting so adult where I'm like, I can't watch someone get disemboweled too much. There's a limit to how much disembowelment I can watch. Yeah. So, it's like, a shock value occasionally with, like, horror um, I'm fine with, but nowadays it's, like, I love more paranormal. I used to love slashers when I was younger, but now it's more paranormal, weird stuff. Yeah. I think, like, when it's, like, hits that sweet spot where it's, like, paranormal weird and like a bit of gore like that's the stuff that'll like really fuck with me <laughs> really i actually not a movie but i recently read um uzumaki by Junji ito which is a manga a horror manga which was so 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 good um, and freaked me the heck out <laughs> you know what sh- have you ever heard of the show from on stan i i have and um i haven't watched it but i i should <laughs> i would recommend that highly because that's like yeah I know it's by the guys that did Lost. Yes. Yeah, and I I love Lost. That's one of my favorite shows. It's so much better than Lost, though. Like, really? it's so good. It's so weird and wonderful. And I really hope it doesn't go for as many seasons as Lost. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love those, like, older long-running shows, but I'm very happy that we're not doing them anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy that it's occasionally, like, we occasionally get shows that la- last about five seasons and then they're like, we're done now. Yeah. I think, like, having an expiry date is important for a TV show now. Like, knowing when you're going to finish is important. Um, Like, I don't think good stories... Well, I mean, like, obviously they did, but, like, I think it's very hard to create good stories from the idea that you just need to keep pushing it for as long as possible. And it's, like, the idea is, like, more output rather than good story. Like... Yeah. You know, like, I feel like a lot of those longer-running American shows will have, like, a massive slump in, like, the later seasons. Like, it's just because, like, they're just trying so hard to, like, extend, like, what little story they have left. It's it's the kind of how I feel about, uh, like, American Horror Story and stuff like that. I'm like, mm, mm. I don't know how they keep making it. It's it's okay. Some seasons are better than others. Um, but, like, I feel like Ryan Murphy recent. <laughs> I have so many issues with Ryan Murphy. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, like, have you seen um, uh, the Monster Dharma yet? I'm not watching Dharma. I don't really feel the need to watch that. And I don't really like that that show was made at all. So I'm just like not touching it. Interesting. Um, You're like me then. You're, you just, because I have a big hate to watch that. I don't want to watch it. And I just. I don't want to watch it. I've never had an inkling to watch it. I, I like a lot of like stories about serial killers and, and, and stuff like that. But mm. I have in particular how this is glorified. Um, I have no desire to watch. I'm like, I'm not going to watch this. No, no. And it's like, I think people kind of forget like the seventies feels like a really long time ago, but 
it's actually not when you think about it. Like it was 40 years, like people whose like families were affected by that are still alive. And, you know, they should not have to be subjected to their loved ones, gruesome, horrifying deaths being like exploited for profit. Like, yeah, you know, like I just don't see the point in why it's made. And like, I, yeah, true crime is, is an interesting subgenre. Um, and I think I understand the appeal, not that like I'm into it, um, but like understand like where the fascination comes from and why people want to consume it. But I think like, I think recently as well, there's kind of been this idea that it's like you're consuming true crime, like it makes you more vigilant or like it somehow like helps you. But like, I think you just need to, if you're like consuming true crime, you kind of just need to accept that it's probably not good for you, but you can still consume it if you want. Like, I don't like the idea that every, you know, piece of media has to be like beneficial for you and, and to try and spin it like that is probably not like the best, especially when it's like, like true crime. I don't know if that makes sense, but. It, do- it does. And he made me think of a show which I really liked called Des, which stars David Tennant as, um, mm. as a guy called Desmond Nielsen. Um, and he was a real-life serial killer. But what they don't show is any of the murders. Yeah. They don't ever show the murders. And what they do is show the police procedure afterwards, like after he was caught. And it's really interesting and thoroughly more disturbing how much he is a compulsive liar and everything mm. than it was actually seeing him do any of the crimes. And there was an interview with David Tennant where he said, we waited until he died mm. before we made that because we didn't want a, him to think he was being glorified and at any point, you know, be like, this isn't me. This is like they're, you know, like telling lies. I never killed mm. these people. Like they didn't want him to have any ammunition. So when he died, they were like, we can now make this. This is okay. Um, and it's the same principle. Like I think the only other show that worked really well in that sort of like true crime format was like a show Mindhunter. Yeah. I think like anything can be like done well and done respectfully, like no matter the subject matter. Yeah. Um. Like, there's a film that I, I love called Charlie Says, which, like, no one has heard of, but it's, like... I, um, I have. Oh, yay! Yay! <laughs> I love Mary Harron. She's, like... I, I'm obsessed with her. She's great. Um, have you seen it? I have not. It's on my okay. list. But I have I have heard of it. Yeah. But it's it's so, so well done. But, like, yeah, the basic premise is, like, it's about the, the Charlie Manson murders, but it's primarily set afterwards, and it focuses on, like, three girls who were, like, put in prison... Um, for the murders and rather than the plot being about like Charles Manson it's about the girls and like the central question of the film is whether or not they should be de-radicalized in prison because if they are de-radicalized and they like kind of come to grips with what they've done like that's going to be quite like it's going to torment them quite a bit but then it's also like they kind of do they need to like be de-radicalized so they can understand the extent of what they've done yeah um and then so that's really fascinating and then also they kind of cut back to like how they got radicalized in the first place. Um, and I think it's just done so well. It doesn't like like sympathize with them in a way that like forgives them for what they've done, but you do see how it happened. Um, mm. And I think it's just done so well. And I think more people should watch it. And Matt Smith plays like Charles Manson, which is like great casting. <laughs> um, and yeah, no one's seen it or heard of it. And so I just... I think that's a crime. <laughs> it's really good. I love Matt Smith, so that's how I follow it. Yeah. Well, that's funny because, like, I watched that before I watched Doctor Who. That was my introduction to Matt Smith. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So that's a dramatic... <laughs> it, was, it was that, and then I watched Last Night in Soho, and then I watched Doctor Who, and I was like... 
a complete reversal of how like everyone else was introduced to like the lovable Matt Smith. <laughs> Do you know what's funny about Last Night in Soho though is it's not like a film that I I, I think it kind of dropped its feminist angle like halfway through. Uh, I yeah I was I was disappointed by that movie. Um, I feel like there's a I have this problem and don't worry, darling got me as well where like the trailers will show like this really like eerie spooky vibey kind of story and then you watch the movie and then like all the substance to it is just those like spooky eerie vibey shots Mm. and there isn't like an actual like tangible like plot like a lot of it is just a girl running around like freaking out yeah I think my biggest pet peeve of also was about that film was there was just so much like unnecessarily watching Florence Pugh and Harry Styles have sex, (laughs) which I didn't need at all, Um, (laughs) especially Harry Styles. Bye-bye. I I went to see Don't Worry Darling with my little sister, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, yeah, I regretted about five minutes into the movie. (laughs) Yeah, because there's that... Olivia Wilde, why would you do this to me? <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen it, but watch the trailer because it's also in the trailer, but it's mm. like literally the dinner scene. <laughs> and Florence Pierce's character is like, I've made dinner. Harry Styles comes in and is like, that's great. And then they start making out. And then he starts to proceed to give her head on the, <laughs> like while she pushes food yeah. off the side of the table. How old's your sister? She's um she's 17. Oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, she like, you know, she's welcome to watch whatever content she wants. But I'm just like, uh, oh, this is awkward. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, like, we were both like, you know, we were both on the Don't Worry Darling drama side of the internet which is a fun place to be and I think everyone in my cinema was also on that side of the internet because we were all having a very fun time <laughs> in that screening it's the only reason that film did well yeah yeah it's crazy how like that kind of publicity ends up creating a profit <laughs> I mean like it's it's kind of shame like how do you feel about Olivia Wilde's career uh, at this point I I like I didn't like don't worry darling but I would watch the heck out of any movie she made like I I just like I want her to win. I want her to succeed. Um I think like Don't Worry Darling had a lot of things in it that I wanted a film to do for a while. It just didn't quite stick the landing for me and I think like it could have done so much more, but like the fact that she like she tried and like that's the kind of story she wants to tell, like I'm like I will watch whatever you want to make. Like she's she's yeah. I no one else is making a movie like Don't Worry Darling at the moment. It's no. I didn't like it and I thought it was bad, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> I want more of that. <laughs> you want you want more of this kind of film, yeah, and, and less done done well, but ideally, yeah. I um, mean, don't worry, darling. Just to s- needed another draft, and then that was mm, the reality of the situation. I, I I agree. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but it was actually like on the 2019 blacklist. That's how it started. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which is so weird to me, and like it was written by two men, which I was like very surprised to to, to learn. But like, I don't necessarily think a movie like Don't Worry Darling can't be written by someone like, you know, a guy. Yeah. But yeah, and then I just think probably needed just an extra pair of eyes or something. Like it felt like a first draft movie. But then also like it was made during quarantine and like COVID and stuff and you know, there was so much stuff going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean like Don't Worry Darling though is one of those films that you look at and you just go, "Oh, okay. The the, the list of problems with it is insane." Yeah. Like it it feels never ending and mm. and long and and you know yeah. difficult and everything it just yeah there was like a solid like act of the movie where they just felt like the story was kind of at a 
a standstill and it was just spinning <laughs> wheels. I don't know if you have this thing as well because like you're also a creative, but like sometimes when I'm watching a movie that's bad, I, I like I realize it's bad as I'm like sitting in the cinema like thinking of how I would do it. Yes. <laughs> like once you get to that point when I'm like at that point in a movie, I've, I've checked out. Like you're not getting me back on board if I'm like, mm, this is how I would have done it. <laughs> I, I There's a dial tone in me going, Beep, yeah. beep. I'm like, I'm tuned out. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I just, I don't understand films like that. And I think, you know, like there's, there's a lot of it just, you know, where they don't work or they don't function or, you know, mm. storylines don't go anywhere. And that is a pro like, particularly with that story, it's a particular problem. Yeah. Cause the premise is awesome. And like the story is, it's a cool idea. Yeah. But it, I it felt like it was less interested in telling that story and more interested in like being smart. But, like, I think if it, I mean, like, I think I would have, uh, the, like, escape sequence, yes. um, I think, was so, like, oh, she just got in the car and drove to the edge of town. Like, <laughs> it felt, that felt too easy. Like, I would have liked more obstacles and, like, that being a bigger part of the movie. Like, figuring out how to leave, yeah. how to escape and, like, you know, maybe getting some of the other women out as well. I was kind of like, no, 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 he's no. going to leave them all there. I feel like the ending, the, the the way the ending happens as well, mm. like, and, and just, you know, like, it doesn't feel like it's earned. Nothing feels like it's earned. Yeah. I think, like, oh, I could talk about this. <laughs> we could go down this rabbit hole. Um, but, like, yeah, I feel like there should have been a lot more to Jack as well. Like, yes. And I think a little bit of that is to do with Harry Styles. But, like, I just would have liked to have seen more of his, like, psyche. and like, Yeah how he got to this point, how he's justifying it to himself, you know, like a bit more of that inner turmoil and like what is going through his head. Like, I feel like that was left too little too late. I think it's, I think he started off really well as well. I think, I think like his acting's not the best. It's not Florence Pugh. <laughs> no, it's not Florence Pugh, but it was like, okay. And it was good enough, but mm -hmm. it, it was really came down to just like, he happened to be dating <laughs> the director or mm. wanting or, or they were having the affair at some point yeah like, well, whatever was going on there <laughs> yeah so it's like just like did olivia wilde just go yeah i want him mm. in the bedroom and that was kind of like how he got hired because originally like shia labeouf and yeah. yeah there's like a whole there's so many layers to this yeah which i don't think will ever get answered i mean yeah and we were like talking about earlier as well like with tiktok and like and those algorithms and how you get sucked into those like spaces yeah and like i feel like the film wanted to talk about that like he literally had discord open on his laptop yeah and i was like i would have liked to have seen more of like how that pipeline happened because you don't just wake up one day and stick your wife in the 50s it's a very <laughs> casual thing you do there's a process um and i would have liked to have seen like i feel like it's important to show how that progression happens because that happens to so many people on a day-to-day -day basis and yeah. it's really scary um and i, I kind of wish the movie was more interested in telling that side of the story but it just it felt very one note unfortunately i want to i want to touch on cancel culture as well oh yeah like as, as something that i think about a lot and, and you know we're talking about florence Pugh and everything um when do you think that stuff is appropriate like when do you think that all of that stuff is appropriate in in the way we do work see see that's interesting because like i think with the olivia wilde stuff like she's getting like flamed online right now yeah but like I think comparatively, like, there's Amsterdam is coming out right now and, like, that's in cinemas and that's a movie that got made by someone who is, like, 
a like abuser who is like openly admitted to it and is still allowed to make a movie and is like you know doesn't have anywhere near the level of discourse that I've seen about Olivia Wilde. Yeah. So it's like cancel culture is interesting because like I feel like uh, you know what's cancel culture and what's just accountability. Yeah. You know <laughs> like sometimes people do shitty things and people are calling them out for it. You know it's like but then I think especially like I don't know like on the the left side of the internet and like TikTok and Twitter is especially notorious for this where like people are getting like held <laughs> to the fire for just the things that like you know are, are quite minor in the grand scheme of things are more like past mistakes and it's like a very complex world to navigate because like you know people make mistakes and like people should be held accountable but it's like the level of accountability and the level of like hate is quite disproportionate to what happens oh a hundred percent it's it we live we live in this very strange time where we just don't know quite what to do with all of it and especially with cancel culture and everything it's just a very like surreal time it's it's so yeah, the internet's a scary place. And, like, it's still – I think people realize, don't really realise that it's, it's still new. Like, social media is still new. We're still figuring things out. And, like, there's just, like, so many people on these platforms now. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's ages away. Like, Yeah, it's very, like, yeah, very fascinating topic and very, very complex, <laughs> I think, um, because, like, I think on a certain level people should be held accountable for things they say online and, like, things that they do. But then at what point – is like that not appropriate and like you know what point do we say like like you know you've apologized you've taken steps and you're not that person anymore and you've taken accountability yeah where like I think there's like this weird thing where it's like we don't really know how to redeem people yeah (laughs) like I think that's a big thing like people will be like quote held accountable but then it's like people won't actually let them go and let them kind of like return and like obviously like it's different to pay, like some people are, like genuinely abusers. Yeah, and, like that's just like a whole different thing. <laughs> but like I'm mainly talking about like you know not that like yeah those like kind of yeah I th- I I think they're like very hostile and and sexist and you know yeah. racist and awful yeah awful people out there. Mm. But I also think that cancel culture in particular we we really kind of ham fist and judge and and forth without a lot of contextual stuff mm, mm. and i agree with you we are very but we are very like unnecessarily vicious with the, when it comes to cancel culture and, yeah. I, and sometimes unjustly yeah i think as well like I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of friends where it's like we don't really have like in media a lot of like redemption stories mm. we don't have like especially in like western media where it's like you'll have a character who's like quote like <laughs> I don't know if you've seen... Have you seen She-Ra? Yes. Yeah. I've seen people be like, Katra is problematic. And it's like, yeah, she is, but she still deserves redemption. And, like, that's a thing that, like, she's allowed. And, like, I think... Yeah. And, like, people will, like, assign, like, morality to, like, the media you watch. Like, it gets, like, super, like, you know, specific. And, like, like, I think we just need more stories that have characters who fuck up and do the wrong thing and are still allowed to come back from that. Like, and I think it's, like, a big part of, like, we don't know what to do with people who have messed up and like want to and like are taking steps and are coming back and like we just don't know how to deal with that we need things to be like black and white and like things aren't (laughs) so no and I think I think when you half explain a situation it sounds worse than it actually is like I've had my fair few list of people who have tried to uh, discredit me and it's like you know whether whether that's down to actually them knowing me is the is the next question because Mm. I think, you know, I would like to say that I'm a very honest and transparent person. 
people don't like always honesty. So therefore, they just kind of go, ah, what do I do with that? And then I think it's also like that thing is like very much because I'm so honest and stuff. I think a lot of my mental health has impacted people in a negative way where they thought I was oversharing. Mm. And then that leads to, you know, manipulation and or like, oh, I didn't need to hear that. Why don't you, you know, like Mm. that's TMI. And it's like, oh, I was just trying to connect. And then they're like, back off. That's weird. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's different to talk about like fandom and, and, and characters that don't exist and, and real life situations. I think that they're, they're, yeah, different. But like, yeah, there's a lot of nuances to like things like, you know, trauma dumping and, and like sharing and like, you know, like, yeah, it's, I think we're still kind of learning what, like how to communicate that and, and the language that we need to use when we're, we're sharing yeah sensitive information. And, you know, there's going to be like, it's yeah again it's not all black and white like sometimes you have things that you want to get off your chest and it's like kind of hard to communicate like is this okay to share now and like how like it just it doesn't feel natural to like be like are you in the right space not natural but like it's you know there's a few extra steps that like come to having like healthy productive mental health Mm. conversations um that like just that kind of language didn't exist you know 10 years ago so I think we're all still learning (laughs) um how to how to be respectful and you know healthy and and yeah like yeah you know because obviously we all want that human connection but it's like you know figuring out where people are and and meeting them there and I don't know if I'm rambling but (laughs) no I love that I was also going to say though like uh, particularly when you sort of said oh I don't think they connect I think they do in a way yeah and and I don't want to give you my sort of two cents thought on how I think they connect yeah but I think that because of the way we process media and especially about like you know particularly like she you know shows like she-ra and stuff Mm -mm. where we try and show redemption arcs and we try and show like the gray areas and everything i think as a you know like a species because we see as everything is very black and white Mm. i think we're trying to learn through media as being like these fictional fantasy characters can do it why can't i yeah and whether they're you know like it's an episodic thing i think people just think but that's only ever happens in television mm. so therefore it doesn't happen in real life and people are only black and white so therefore yeah, shame yeah. them instantly yeah maybe maybe not connect is is not the right word cuz there's, there's yeah. definitely like what you like i feel like having exposure to things in media has a massive impact on like real life things yeah um for sure um yeah i think having yeah having the framework shown in media is super important even if it's like a fantasy kid show like she-ra like it is important to have characters like katra who fuck up yeah and like she is evil and she does evil things but she uh, still deserves redemption (laughs) um but then like yeah like it's not like one for one to real life i guess is what i was saying but like yeah for sure we definitely need i i'm a big advocate for like you know, situations that are messy and complex and, like, that needs to be shown and, like, characters who are messy and complex still deserve, you know, love and, like, care and, like, it's important to show that and to show, like, characters having, you know, that redemption um, for sure. Like, I've seen, like, with Heartbreak High, a lot of discourse around Harper, which I hate because, like, you can have a character like Harper who does horrible things and, like, fucks up and, like, you know, is like really mean to her best friend and like does things that like are so like you know like why would she do that and you're watching and you're like why is she doing this she doesn't deserve like mm. Anne-Marie's friendship and like I've seen a lot of that kind of commentary and it's like no but like she does you know she can like Emery is allowed to forgive her and she's she's allowed to choose that mm. and it's like I think that's important to show like 
you can mess up and people can still come back to you. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a really important thing to show in media, especially like coming of age stuff for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like I, I am comfortable talking about actually. Um, it's tendentially related to mental health. Um, I think I, I don't know if you've had a similar experience or you know people have had a similar experience with lockdown. We're talking about like gender and stuff, but I also like came to the realization that I'm probably neurodivergent. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's that's um, in what capacity like initially i was thinking adhd mm-hmm. however like i i don't know i'm gonna try get like properly diagnosed and i feel like it's a good thing to bring up just because like i feel like it's had a massive impact on my creativity yeah um and just how i like process like writing and stuff but i also think like i may be on the like autism spectrum oh okay yeah 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 yeah, yeah. um yeah it's just like something like i know i'm definitely in the space of neurodiverse (laughs) yeah no there's there's like a little little clock in your head that goes this makes sense yeah it's like to the point where i like I, I watched Heartbreak High and I was crying because I'm like, oh, this is me. <laughs> when you see that, like, it's, yeah, and it was such a good reminder as to, like, why, rep- like, representation is so important because I'm like, oh, like, I've never seen, like, an autistic female character on screen before. Ah. And I was relating to a lot of it. And I was like, wow, like, this would have been so awesome to have growing up because I felt like I was going crazy. <laughs> I love that. I mean, like, do you, I have ADHD. What, what in particular kind of triggered you to think you had attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yeah, I think, and, like, I think a lot of my symptoms, like, overlap, like, ADHD and autism and, and, you know, all that fun stuff. But, like, executive dysfunction, I've definitely got, like, that a lot. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I'm just, like, like, time, I, I have a bad, like, habit. Like, I can't process time. I feel like I don't, I never know when to leave. I never know, like, I never get to places on time. Um... Like I will, I will place things down and forget that they're there, and like, yeah, <laughs> just um, like things like like my Mikey. Oh, you don't have Mikey in Sydney, but like my Mikey card. I think I've lost like four Mikeys in one week before. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um. So now I have to keep it like in the back of my phone case, just so like it it's there and I don't forget it. Um, and it's like yeah, like I'll forget like meals <laughs> and like just you know all the fun stuff. Oh my god. Um, I get like I have massive hyperfixations. I've had hyper like really intense hyperfixations like since I was a kid. Like that's my probably my big like this is probably me being neurodivergent, you know. <laughs> um yeah, and then like so I've like sensory issues and like social social cues, like I struggle with a little bit. And just like a whole a whole like boatload of things. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> Can I just say this makes you like this is probably why I relate to you a lot. <laughs> just yeah. to like Oh yeah, you make total sense to me. Yeah, twinsies. Yeah, I mean, like it's. It, yeah, I think it's also interesting because I often say this about people with ADHD: we're very good at reading people. We don't actually miss that many social cues. Yeah, see, I I'm not really. Mm, no, like I I have this thing like um especially around like romantic and like sexual stuff. Like I never I can never understand those cues. Like it just over my head never do you think you do you think there's part of you that's a bit demi then i think i think it's like partly neurodiverse and partly like i think i'm probably on the the ace spectrum like maybe demi um like it takes a lot for me to catch feelings Mm -hmm. um and i'm also so terrible at picking up when people (laughs) are like putting out vibes you and m should have a field day Uh like (laughs) yeah it's like um i've had like (laughs) retroactively i'm like why did i think that that was not someone hitting on me. Like people will come up to me in bars and I would just have a conversation with them. And they're like, can I get your number? And I'm like, 
no, I don't want to give you my number. Like, well, I thought we were just having a chat. Like, it's happened, like, yeah. Like, and just, no, like, I just, I can't read it. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, my brain just doesn't, yeah. <laughs> it goes, what? Yeah, what? it's like, what? Like, I just want to have a chat. Like, I don't want to, like, I don't want this to go anywhere. I'm just like, <laughs> I want to have a chat. Like, I'm always down for a chat. And nothing more. <laughs> I love how wholesome that sounds. <laughs> the the best kind of guy. <laughs> but like, it's actually so disappointing. Like, I remember like the other day I was at a train stop and a guy came up to me and started chatting. He actually asked me, like we were near a bar and he's like, have you been there before? And I was just like, oh my God, like, yeah, I've been there. Like they have really good cocktail jugs. And I was just chatting to him. And he's like, do you want to go there with me now? And I'm like, oh, that's what that was. Like we were just like chatting. Like <laughs> He was trying to flirt. And I was really disappointed because I was like, I just wanted to like, I'm always happy to chat. <laughs> I love how upfront that is. Oh yeah. I was like. Maybe that's just like not even a neurodivergent thing. Maybe that's just like this guy was like very pushed. Like I was like, it was 1 p.m. on a Wednesday and I'm like, I don't really want to go to a bar right now. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't know if you're from Melbourne or if people from Melbourne, like they will know it was, he asked about the Asian beer cafe. So like that was like the level. It was like 1 p.m. on a Wednesday. I don't even know I'm talking about this now, but it's like. It's been living in my head because I'm like, wow, I did not pick up on this. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I actually was, love this. Oh, that was a really awkward thing because, wait, I'm going to tell the story. Can I tell the yeah, story? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go, go, like, go. <laughs> I was like waiting for my friend. I was like sitting down and like this dude, like he came and sat next to me and he sat like really close to me. And so I tried to move away from him, but because I was already sitting on like on the edge of the chair, I fell off. <laughs> what? And I fell on the ground. I'm like, oh my God. And then so I sat back up on the chair and then like, I was like, ha, like I fell off. And he's like, yeah, that was funny. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, we literally talked for 10 minutes. And then I was like, this is fun. And like, I was glad that he was chatting. I was like, oh, he's chatting to me because like he's embarrassed that I like fell off the chair and he's trying to make it less awkward. But in actuality, he probably sat that close to me because he wanted to get my number. And I'm just like, wow. Oh my God. (laughs) I think you're my new favorite person. Please tell me, like, yeah, always um, feed me stories like this because that is incredible. <laughs> I feel like I'm constantly in, like, that specific situation. Yeah. Like, that happens to me all the time. And, like, my response is to just double down and be more embarrassing. <laughs> You're like, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how can I make this, like, worse for me? Like, I would just chat to this guy for 10 minutes. Like, it's fine. <laughs> Uh, oh my god I'm going to use this weird story To wrap us up though yeah, yeah. On a perfect note It's a great note But, but please promise me write a, write a short film based on your Bad <laughs> attempts uh, Maybe I would just like yeah start a blog And I'd be like was this person hitting on me Question mark? Yeah yeah write a blog or you know, write a few you know Pros okay. about it Because yeah. you know <laughs> It works. I'm sure people are very, very, very interested in my lack of love life. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true, I'm sure, though. I'm sure they want to hear all about your romantic endeavors. All all the juicy, juicy details. All the seats I've fallen off. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, Question for you next, Alice. Yes. Is where... on the internet can people stalk you where can they find you which is the perfect dating segue yes (laughs) um okay i i'm i don't really have a i'm on instagram but it's like a private account but like i will i will accept a follow um (laughs) 
Because as I said, I'm always down for a chat. So um, it's Alice underscore underscore smiles. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And then go and, go and stalk them. Go and find them. F- follow and get request. Send the request send, off. Send I don't request. actually. I've only recently got a pri- um like a a private one, so mm. I'm I'm getting used to that. Like yeah, accepting people and not yeah. accepting people. Like I did used to have a public, but then like you get like a million random people following you, and it's like I don't know, yeah, I and most of them were just like porn. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Literally, they're just like bots, and it's like, why are you here? I know. And so many of those bots would grab my friend's identities and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Oh, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope that wasn't too rambly. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved every second of it. I had a great time and I hope you didn't mind the fact that Eddie, my little doggy, is being like quite pedantic in the corner. So hopefully he wasn't too no. interrupty. No, he was wonderful. <laughs> um, but no. And if you want to go and check out more episodes of The Things We Do, You can check them out on Apple and Spotify. I'll be speaking with another guest next week, and I'll speak to you all later. Goodbye. (laughs) 